Hi, I'm Brenda Reese, freedom and forgiveness coach and a person just like you that is learning to navigate life and all of its challenges. I teach a forgiveness process like no other. It's a blend of practical and spiritual forgiveness. This process guides you into knowing how unforgiveness can be keeping you stuck in your relationships, both personally and professionally, and how it prevents you from releasing resentment and finding joy. Each week, I share practical and some not-so-practical tips, tools, and advice from myself and other people that are on this journey just like us. This is for you if you are ready to turn your pain into peace. Welcome to the Forgive Yourself Podcast. Hello and welcome to another fantastic conversation on the Unlocking the True Power of Forgiveness Secrets to Incorporating Forgiveness into Your Daily Life Summit. This summit is all about learning ways we can look at forgiveness differently and be able to define it for ourselves so we can live a forgiveness lifestyle, which means living a life knowing ourselves and accepting ourselves and not living our life afraid to be who we are. I am very excited to introduce you to Dr. Zoe Shaw today. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Dr. Zoe is a licensed psychotherapist, author, speaker, podcast host, relationship coach, and fitness fanatic. I love that. (laughs) She is a mom to five wonderful kids. She is passionate about helping women who struggle in difficult relationships, especially that sometimes difficult relationship with themselves to overcome shame and codependency. After 15 years in traditional psychotherapy practice, Dr. Zoe jumped off the couch and now helps women using a different modality with a mix of virtual therapy, coaching services, and programs through a lens of psychology, faith, and a dash of feminism. Dr. Zoe is the author of Ask Dr. Zoe column in the Grit and Grace Project Women's Magazine and the book A Year of Self-Care, which I love, by the way. Absolutely love that book. She's been published in Oprah Magazine, Recovery Today Magazine, Forbes, and is a frequent contributor to Your Tango. She writes about helping women overcome shame and dependency. Welcome, Dr. Zowie. I'm happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. It's always, always wonderful to sit and chat with you, Brenda. I know. We've known each other a couple years, and, and I loved that. We met in a speaking mastermind. I have just loved your work because you talk about subjects that Mm -hmm. a lot of people think are taboo. Right. Yeah. And however, but it's those subjects that we need to heal to really reclaim ourselves. And you have a topic of complex shame. Yes. You know, it's funny because we can talk about complex shame with a smile on our face because it's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's important stuff. And overcoming it is where you get to the smile, is where you get to the freedom. And so I love chatting about it. I love finding it and helping people recognize that they're experiencing it. I can tell you a little bit. So complex shame is actually a a term that I've developed. And the reason why is because in my practice and in my life, I can share a bit about my background if you'd like at some Please, point. Please, I would love that. Please. Yeah. So, well, I can start with just giving you a little bit about about my background. I grew up as a Black girl in a white community in Hagerstown, Maryland back in the 80s. And I developed a lot of 
really self-esteem, identity issues, and a lot of shame just regarding my race and, and, and ethnicity. And I got pregnant when I was 15 years old. I also grew up in a very fundamental Christian family. Oh. <laughs> yes. And my father was a prominent doctor in the community. And there was a lot, obviously, of shame that my parents had um, having a daughter that was pregnant. And so what they did was they shipped me off to a pregnancy home for women and or for girls, really, for adolescents and hid me throughout my pregnancy. I placed my daughter for adoption and came back home and pretended like I had been at boarding school. Mm-hmm. And so that just really set off a trajectory of a lot of shame. Secrets and shame uh, was really kind of the foundation of my childhood, my adolescence and my life and going into adulthood. And so as a result of that, I made some decisions that were self-harming, which is one of the stages of complex shame, uh, an attempt to really protect myself or to heal or to get on with my life mm-hmm. because I was still dealing very much with my shame. People who have a lot of shame tend to self-harm. Um, and so in my practice growing up, well, you know, I also had, there's a lot of stuff that went on in my life, but (laughs) I I had, you know, children in my marriage and I later had a daughter who I placed the, the child I placed was a a girl. I later had two boys and then I was so excited to have a daughter. Um, but she ended up being born with a very severe genetic disorder. And in my mind and my shame filled mind, I decided that God was punishing me and punishing her. And, you know, the, I gave up a daughter. And so of course the daughter that I had, um, was disabled. And so I went through a lot of shame spirals as a special needs mom and dealing with all of the pain and, and trying to help and work with my daughter. And so, you know, over time, I figured out some ways to heal myself. And after going through the shame spirals and reading and, and as a therapist myself and helping my clients, I was able to find my way through, but it was a very difficult, (laughs) treacherous, painful process. And the reason why I really love to do my work is because I want to help women get through that process so much easier. Mm. You know, wisdom is something that I strive and I really, I pray for. And the thing that I know about wisdom is that it's gained in a couple of ways, going through the difficult things, right? Or, or we can learn from other people and other people's mistakes. And so my hope is that other women will be able to learn from my struggles and not have to necessarily go through theirs. Um, So when it comes to complex shame, I've done a lot of reading and research with shame. I've worked with a lot of clients with shame. And what I found is that a lot of people are familiar with Brene Brown. And Mm -hmm. Brene Brown talks about the antidote to shame is self-compassion and empathy, right? Yes. Uh, And what I found, and I'm not the only one, Tarana Burke, who Brene Brown actually wrote, co-wrote a book with, what I found is that for certain populations... That doesn't work. Vulnerability and empathy does not necessarily work. And there's a couple of reasons why. So what happens is people are feeling the shame and they're trying to do, you know, trying to be vulnerable and trying to seek empathy and they're not getting it. And they're feeling like there's something wrong with me. I still feel shame. Or maybe they're getting some empathy and still feeling I still feel shame. And so then I started to wonder, so what's different? What is it that for some people, they can be vulnerable, they can receive some empathy and their shame obliterates. And then for others, it doesn't work that way. So I started really looking deeply into my clients and myself. And that's how I developed the concept of complex shame. 
And I don't want to get too, <laughs> too deep in the science and woods about it. Yeah. But what I can explain to you is that there's simple shame, which is kind of the Brene Brown type of shame, which okay. can be obliterated by empathy and vulnerability and compassion. Then there's toxic shame. So toxic shame is developed very early on, usually from extreme abuse. And it's very much connected to our personality, right? Okay. And so when we look at something like toxic shame, because it's so deeply connected to our personality, people then uh, develop often personality disorders. So when we look at people like antisocial, when we look at, oh. at um, narcissists, um, you're looking at some deep toxic shame going on, borderline personality disorder. But there's this kind of middle ground for people who have complex shame. It oh. develops in a similar way, usually through childhood trauma. It is kind of deep, but not so deeply attached to a personality because there's some formation that was healthier in the okay. beginning, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so, and also these people with complex shame tend to be internalizers, where people with toxic shame tend to be externalizers, mm. right? So yeah. we call them toxic because they're difficult for everybody to yeah. be around. Whereas right. complex shame people tend to be the codependents. They're not really difficult to be around. They've mm -hmm. turned it inside and they're hurting themselves. Yes. Um, but what they're feeling is some deep level of shame. And the reason why empathy doesn't work is because there's a part of their brain that says, but they don't get it. It's my fault. Right. So no matter how much other people can say, oh, you know, we accept you and it's not your fault with people who have complex shame, they tend to number one, don't show up as they are, as they, who they really mm -hmm. are. And so when you're going about in relationships and you're not showing up as you really are and people love you, guess what? you feel very unloved because mm -hmm. what you tell yourself is they don't really know who I am. So yeah, maybe they love me, but they don't really love me. And so you still feel unaccepted and un unloved and there isn't that you can't accept the empathy, right? right? And then there's marginalized populations who actually don't get the empathy. You know, maybe they're gaslighted and, and, and so their deep level of shame exists because there isn't really empathy to ha be had in society, if that makes sense. Yeah. So those are kind of the two ways that complex shame is formed. Wow. You know, I so fit that complex shame. <laughs> I, you know, I think as, as a lot of us do. Um, mm -hmm. And Thank you for explaining that and doing this simple shame, toxic shame, and giving us space, giving us a way to go, oh, this is what it is for the middle, because it's not like totally toxic and it's, but it's not simple. It really can be detrimental in how, right. in my self identity, self esteem, confidence, yeah. right? Because I spent right. most and of my life codependent. Yes, right. Because you're, you're searching for that love. You're trying to get the validation. You don't believe that you're inherently worthy, right? Because oh. shame tells us we are bad. It's not yeah. just the thing we did is bad. It's we are. It's so difficult for people with complex shame to have healthy relationships. They do tend to have relationships. So they're not like toxic people who can't have relationships at all. Right. Um, they do tend to have them, but they do tend to be codependent and it, they do tend to be people pleasers. And yeah. It does create a lot of self-harm, a lot of self-harm. Well, it does. And the self-harm is, yes, I mean, it is mm -hmm. just self-deprecating and that self-hatred that can show mm -hmm. up. I mm -hmm. mean, and it it is deep in the sense of, uh, yeah, I totally understand that. And so you 
have some steps um, that you have created yeah. around this. I'm so happy that you created this complex shame, that you're bringing this mm-hmm. out into the forefront. And because, you know, being very solution oriented as you are and going right. through all you have, being able to help us is just brilliant. And so would you mind sharing the steps with us? Right. So the steps go from how it's developed to how you heal it. And Mm -hmm. so the first step, of course, of complex shame is some type of initial shaming experience. And usually that happens really early in your life. And I encourage people to start to pay attention to that first time when they started to recognize shame. And sometimes it's an incident and sometimes it's just a course of experiences in childhood, right? Would that be Um, neglect? Like neglect? Neglect, absolutely. Neglect could certainly be one. Abuse. Um, it could be it could be a range of things, even religious shame. So for me, I had a lot of religious shame. Like you should be this way. You should be able to connect with God in this way. Um, you are not holy enough. You're sinful. You know, all of those those messages that I got for from um my family of origin and church were very, were very shameful for me, mainly because I couldn't seem to live up to them. Does that make sense? It does. Um, and so there, there are various ways uh, in my book that won't come out for a year. I outline all of the different types of shame that there are. And so it's important to start to first understand when did I first begin to feel shame? Okay. Um, one of the steps later that we'll talk about are about is about kind of understanding who you were before the shame, but we'll get to that. Okay. So the next step, which happens after the initial shaming experience, and this could be months or this could be years, depending on when your shame initial shame started to develop, is that we tend to start to self-harm. And so you'll start to see this in, you know, late childhood, early adolescence sometimes where you're beginning to self-harm. You're picking people who are really bad for you. You're connecting with people who are abusive. You're maybe actually self-harming. You're getting into addictions, bad relationships, bad choices in your life. And often it's attached to this, this deep shame that you have. And a lot of people will stay in this self-harm self-hate loop. So the next step is is kind of self-hate. So mm. what happens is that we have an experience and then we begin to decide that we're wrong, we harm ourselves and then we begin to hate ourselves, right? Yeah. Because yeah. of what was done to us and then now what we're doing to ourselves. And so that that next step is self-hate. And these are things that looking back if someone's listening to this they can go, "Oh, yeah, I can see that I did that. And I can see that I felt that. I did that. I mean, you're going ding, ding, ding. You know, yeah. I'm. it's like, oh my goodness. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so the next stage, and I'm hoping maybe this is happening for people right now, is self-awareness, Ugh. where you begin to become aware of what you're doing to yourself and what happened and how those two things intersect. Yeah. And so self-awareness is that very beginning of healing right? Mm -hmm. It's only a beginning. It's a little seed that gets planted when you begin to say, oh, okay, I can see what I did. For me, it began in two ways, my self-awareness. It was when I sat in church once with a woman who had a child who was extremely disabled, way more disabled than my daughter. And she was so joyous. And we were talking and I told her that I felt that I was being punished. 
because of what I had done, you know, get placing my daughter for adoption. And I don't even remember exactly the words that she said. They were encouraging and probably cliched, right? (laughs) But it wasn't what she said. It was watching her and seeing that, oh, okay, maybe I'm not being punished. Maybe this is a gift. Maybe I can see my my daughter in a different way, right? Oh, yeah. Um, The next little seed of awareness for me was in therapy when I truly had this sense that my mother was perfect and that I was the one that was damaged. And my therapist challenged me on that concept of my mother being perfect. And you would think, how could anybody say that? I was like a 23-year-old person who really felt like I can't live up to her. I'm the one that's damaged. Um, And just those little seeds being planted were the beginning of awareness for me. Now, it took me another couple decades before the healing actually happened, but that was, that was, those were the first steps. So awareness is when you start to realize that, oh, I'm doing this and oh, maybe the way I I was thinking isn't really accurate. Oh, right there. I love that. Maybe the way I was thinking wasn't really accurate. Exactly. And I yeah. think that's where we can challenge ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's like, it, it, is this thing, I mean, with, uh, usually with the help of someone mm-hmm. else like you to be able to go, but to even think, is this thought correct? Is this, is this right. true? Right. Oh. And what if it's not? And what, what if, if it's not? Oh, I love that know, even more. I talk to so many people about these thoughts because often we go about the world and we have these ideas about what's right, what's wrong, how the world works and how it should. And if you think about it, no one can be completely right about that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. all the ideas and beliefs that we have about the world, everyone yeah. seems to hold a sl- one slightly different. No yeah. one has it all right. So if that's the case, then there's some things that you believe deeply that are simply not true. It's hard to hear. It's hard to hear. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. It's true. And it's and it's okay. It's okay. And when you can do that, you can begin to hold some of your own beliefs lightly. Not that you shouldn't believe them, because yeah. I have some beliefs that are very deep. I feel them very deeply. Yeah. And until I'm convinced otherwise, I'm going to continue to believe them. Yeah. But I'm also in a place where I can hold the fact that maybe they're not even true. Mm. Oh, yes. And I think that is a really good place, the awareness piece. Right. Right there. Maybe what I believe isn't true. Like when I looked back at my childhood, I thought it was all dark and I thought it was all, you know, because of this shame spiral. And when I started to question that, just Mm -hmm. being willing to be willing to question, it became not true. Yes. You know what I mean? And then it was like, oh, wait, here's there was this joy, there was this, there was that. And it, it opened me up. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love this. Okay. So what's number five? Yes. So the next step, this one is Brene Brown's step, and this is vulnerability. And it is a very important part of healing. It is not the healing, but it's an important part. And that that is when you are able to get to a place of speaking the thing for which you are ashamed. And I encourage women to find someone to do it with. And it's important, just like Brene Brown said, to find somebody that you can trust, to find someone that's earned the right, right, to your story. And sometimes that's a therapist. And a lot of people will say, well, I can't afford therapy. And my response is, you can afford a therapy session. 
you can save up and you can afford one. And if anyone were to call me and say, listen, I just need one. I have this shame issue. I need to be able to speak it you know, out loud. I would accept that in a heartbeat. And oh. so I want you people to be careful to decide I can't do that. Yes, you can. Yes, mm-hmm. you can. You need to learn to speak your shame. And the first time you speak it is the hardest. And the more you speak it, the easier it gets. And so oh. vulnerability is that next, that next step. Oh, you gave me chills on that one. Just that, the permission, right? Giving people permission to just, whatever that secret is, get it out. Get it out. Get it out. out. So we don't have to self-harm. We don't have to continually beat ourselves up. Mm -hmm. And the thing that people find about your vulnerability, we, you know, I attach decades to my secret decades holding it in and it becomes this overarching thing that that you don't even realize how much energy how much emotional baggage you're carrying i finally spoke my secret at my father's funeral which is not ideal but my daughter who i'd reunited with was coming and my family didn't know about her and i wasn't going to tell her she couldn't come right, right. and so i exposed myself to my family at my father's funeral which was a whole kind of you know lifetime movie worthy event um yes. but it was also one of the beginning steps of my healing is speaking my truth oh yeah oh Zoe, thank you for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. So the next step is deconstructing. And this is when, after we've been able to start talking about our shame, after Mm -hmm. we've become aware, is when we start to really take it apart and deconstruct. And what that looks like is figuring out how do I separate what I did and what was done to me, right? How do I start to look at those two things separately? And I really encourage people to do that because often it just becomes one gel blob. It's just all bad. I'm all bad. So the deconstructing part is really trying to start taking it apart. And this is where you can do it on your own. I have some exercises, but it's it's more helpful if you can do it with a therapist is the deconstructing part of your shame. Because there's never just one incident. There's never just one thing. It's always what was done and then what you did. And so that's um, the deconstructing part. Is there a simple thing people can just start to do? Without- well, that's where I say, what did you do or what happened to you? I'm sorry. And then what did you do as a result? Oh, okay. Right? To harm yourself. To so harm- this happened, you know, maybe, well, there's there's some couple of things and I'll talk a little bit about that in self-forgiveness okay. as well. Okay. But let's say that someone was raped, right? So that's something that happened to you. And then yeah. the question is, okay, maybe some things that you did after Maybe, you know, you harmed yourself by closing yourself up and not allowing yourself to have relationships. Maybe you did the opposite and you became promiscuous because you were trying to develop some type of control over your own sexuality for very good reason, right? Um, or when we get to self, well, we'll, we'll start talking about self-forgiveness yeah. as well. So deconstructing is really starting to take that apart. Good. The next step is self-forgiveness. And this one is really hard and may be a little controversial. And the reason why is because, especially with complex shame, we're not able to differentiate necessarily what's ours and what isn't. And that's why the deconstructing comes with the self-forgiveness. Because especially in instances where we are victims, Mm -hmm. there is a part of our brain that tells ourselves that it was our fault. 
Yes. Okay. And so in therapy, a lot often with trauma, a therapist is often trying to get a, a client to get to a point of, of recognizing that it's not your fault. Mm. Right. Don't blame yourself. It's not your fault. And I don't feel that that has been really helpful. Mm-hmm. And the re- it sounds good. It sounds loving to tell someone yes. it's not your fault. So just get over it. But our brain doesn't work that way. And so the more helpful thing and what can feel controversial because it can feel like it's victim blaming is saying, well, how was it your fault? What could you have done? Ooh. And so then we're going to look at, let's say there was a trauma. And let's say in the midst of that trauma, there were 10 things, 10 decisions that you had to make in the midst of that trauma, right? And those 10 decisions are the things that your brain tells you were your fault. Mm. I could have done this. I could have used the pepper spray. I could have not used the pepper spray because when I used the pepper spray, it made it worse. All of these things, you know, that can happen in the midst of a trauma that you then blame yourself for. I shouldn't have gone there. I should have known better. I should have, I should have. And so when we just take one trauma and say, oh, it wasn't your fault. Our brain doesn't work that way. And it just kind of doesn't even pay attention to it. And we stay in this place. So I'm asking you to go ahead and say, what is it that I think I did, right? What is it that I did that I feel contributed to this trauma? And so let's go ahead and look at that. Mm. And when we're able to go ahead and allow someone to look at that, all of a sudden we can say, okay, do you think you can forgive yourself for what you did in those moments? Mm. And so you're working on forgiving yourself for something you didn't really do. And then forgiving yourself for all the things that you did to yourself running from it. Yes. Yes. And so that's the part of complex shame that we have to work on is going ahead and identifying those things that your brain said are your fault and figuring out how to forgive yourself for it. Mm. And it feels almost wrong because it feels like it's victim blaming, but it's not, it's working with your brain in the way that your brain works. Oh, that's, Oh, I just feel the relief of that Mm -hmm. because in having an example of that for myself and trying all those years to try to, you know, it's there and we try to shove it away and it's like, it's not my fault, but it it was always there that I could have, would have, should have. And, and I, you're what you bring in. No one's ever approached it this way before, right Mm -hmm. through the years. And I got a few decades on me and, you know, and through the years, no one ever did that. It just almost brings tears to have that that relief yes to be able to to dissect that it's like i thought i could do this but really yeah oh yeah oh thank you you're welcome and that is where the healing starts to begin when you can forgive yourself for things that absolutely didn't do yeah um, and then there's steps on how, you know, to forgive. And that forgiveness part is a journey. It's not a one-time incident. Yeah. It's a journey. Um, and it's a journey that you have to get into regular practice of doing, of deconstructing and forgiving. And sometimes saying the words even when you don't feel it because your yeah. brain believes what you tell it. Yeah. Um, and so the next step is acceptance. Mm. And you know, some people would think, well, doesn't acceptance have to come before forgiveness? No, I think you really have to actively work on forgiving before you can accept everything. I am with you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it's for me, there's a mantra about um, really what is and I am. 
And, you know, when we talk about forgiveness, I love there's a there's a quote somewhere that I sometimes keep. Oh, here it is. Is forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better, better past. Yeah. That's Gary Jampolski, I think. Right. Acceptance is really recognizing that you can't change the things that happened, right? You can work from here on figuring out how to be different if you want to be different, how to love yourself better, how to forgive yourself, but you can't change the things. And that's where that's really where acceptance is. It's not about making anything okay. It's just understanding what is. And there's a mantra that I have that talks about all the things that like these things happened and I am. It's just seeing things as it happened instead of it is it's not who who you are. It's something that happened. And when you can look at the events in your life as they happened, but this is who I am as a person, it's easier to come to a place of acceptance. So your mantra is these things happened and I am. I am. Yeah. Yeah. I have I have a whole list of them. And maybe I'll include that in the PDF as well. Oh yeah, beautiful. I yeah, yeah. I don't have it memorized, but it's a really wonderful mantra to just address like all of the ways that we blame ourselves and then oh. coming back to and I am. Oh, that would be powerful to have. Yeah. Yes. Oh. And so the last step, which I feel is the most important step, is maintenance. So all of these steps also align with the grief journey because shame, I believe, is very much attached to grief, right? And so we cycle through them. And there's never a one and done. I still wrote the book on it, <laughs> healed from it, and I'm still in a place of maintaining my complex shame, right? Yeah. And so maintenance is so very important. And that is a combination of the things that we say to ourselves and then also what we do be- uh, behaviorally. So let's start with behavior. Okay. We can accept, we can forgive, we can express vulnerability, but unless we have a behavior change, not much happens, right? Yes. Right. So in true forgiveness and true self-love, we will change the way we interact with ourselves and people. We will create healthy boundaries. We will love ourselves. We will not accept things that we used to accept, right? We will show up in relationships differently. And so the maintenance aspect is making sure that we're making behavior changes that are in line with the acceptance and love and forgiveness that we've given to ourselves. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because when we don't take an action on something, it's, it just sits there. There's nothing. Yeah. And that's what we've done already. It sits there and it just continues to replicate. Yes. Continue to just cycle and go through the same thing over and over again. When we make a behavior change, then we're really healing. And the behavior change is hard. It's not easy, but it's so, so very worth it. Yes. No, and I can tell with this and walking, especially having you walk through it. I'm excited mm-hmm. for your book. Um, being able to walk through it and make the incremental, yeah, right steps right. because it's not something. I mean, so many of us want to just jump into it or get the magic pill or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and and that's not how it works. Not. <laughs> um, and and I'm glad it doesn't work that way. Yes, because the wisdom that comes from mm-hmm. each step mm-hmm. and the willingness, right? Yes. Of recognition, of awareness, of taking these different and yeah. being willing to forgive and then accept. Mm-hmm. Powerful. Yes. 
accept and then change and so then change. Powerful. so powerful yes and the other part of maintenance well there's a cognitive part there's a spiritual part and then there's the physiological part because shame is a type of trauma and it is a type of loss so we've got to grieve it and that doesn't just happen in our minds it happens in our bodies mm-hmm. and so we have to pay attention to the ways that shame sits in our body um, and so I have, I, I just talk a little bit just about physiologically what yeah. you can do in terms of breathing exercises, exercise, meditation to pay attention to how shame shows up in your body. Once you begin, once you become aware, you'll start to notice when you start to feel shame and where, where it, it shows up and how you feel and work on a regular practice of expressing it from your body as well. Oh, that is wonderful. So people could just start to pay attention now. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. People tend to feel shame. You can feel it sitting in your shoulders. You can feel it in your gut and your back actually Mm -hmm. is very, is a very common place where people hold their shame. Um, And so learning how to, to pay attention to that and release it is really important. Yes. I just went through uh, an exercise of that um, Mm -hmm. and my shoulder pain. I was, I almost had a frozen shoulder. Yes. And, and it was, and, and doing the breathing and doing help with a therapist mm-hmm. was able to do kind of the parts work, kind of mm-hmm. get in there. Yeah. And it was from being 16 wow. and being raped. And yes. and it was still there, even though I'd done yeah. work, it yeah. was showing up again so that I could pay attention. It was amazing mm. to have that release. So I, I so am in a great, I mean, I just had that physical experience myself you know, of being able to have that release. And you're so true. It does show up in our bodies and our bodies are just wanting us to, you know, it's information here. Mm-hmm. Pay attention. Let's yep. release this energy. So let's let it go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Having your light and your energy in such a deep, deep subject yeah. is really what is healing. Mm. because you walked it right don't just talk it you've exactly. walked it and you continue to you continue to maintain Absolutely. you continue to do the work because it's a process mm-hmm. and yeah. for that i value you so much thank you thank Cause, you yeah because holding the space for that for ourselves is hard mm-hmm. but having someone else hold that space is a challenge too you know but it's a gift yeah having that holding a space for people is a beautiful gift. Mm. And yes. And so speaking of gifts, you have a gift for everyone about these eight steps. I do. So I have a PDF that I can share with you that outlines the eight steps. It also will give a differentiation between a simple shame and a complex shame and how that works in terms of really healing from it. And um, yeah, you can connect with me and you will share that with the audience. And yes. Happy, happy to share that. Yes. And I just love to know how can people get more information about you, your website or social media? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. That's kind of my place where I hang out. It's Dr. Zoe Shaw, D R Z O E S H A W. And my website is the same, drzoeshaw.com. I also encourage you to listen to my podcast, Stronger in the Difficult Places, where we yes. talk about codependency, shame faith, feminism, all women relationship stuff. I love your podcast. Thank you. I love 
having the conversations that you bring forth because as women, we, we need to have these conversations and we need Mm -hmm. to bring this out into the light. Like you said, speaking the shame and the guilt and, and allow ourselves to grieve because we are grief illiterate in, you know, in our country and allowing that space to happen with each other and for ourselves. Oh, Zoe, thank you so much for everything you've offered. And you are just such a blessing. Thank you. And thank you for everything you're doing, Brenda. I love your podcast. I love listening to forgiveness because there are not a lot of people talking about that either. So thank you for the work that you do. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy it, would you do me a favor and share this episode and then follow us on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss one episode of the Forgive Yourself podcast, where every Friday you will get tips, tools, and stories so that you can turn your pain into peace. Take care.